0: Successful uh, marriage and as uh, Rob Spurlock pointed out
1: uh, that they would be fruitful and multiply Amen. 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 <laughs> uh, and then I can say that my children's children uh, are following in your ways
0: <clears throat> Lord uh, may they exceed uh, their uh, forefathers uh, and, and grow to greater heights in the name of Messiah Yeshua
2: Amen
3: Amen, Amen.
0: Father, I thank you for Bridegroom and Bride, I thank you for the blessing that you have brought into our midst that we have uh, opportunities to see uh, uh, your example being played out in human beings. Father, I thank you for Brock and for Jenny, and I ask that you might bless them, make their joy uh, complete, and may our joy be complete in uh, participating in uh, in their joy, I pray in Yeshua's name.
4: i Go ahead want to okay. we'll lift up Jenny to you. As she's not with us today, we pray that you would bring a sense of peace upon her. The last week can be so fretful. And we pray that you would just give her a heart of peace and rest. She's so ready and prepared. We pray, Father, that as she moves here to make this place her home, that she would feel welcome and that she would feel a part. Yes. And that she would fill our arms and hearts welcoming her as part of this community. We just pray you give them safety as uh, all of us that are traveling to Florida for the wedding and back and um, pray for safety for them as they begin
5: their new home. <coughs> well, I do pray that you would bless Brock and Jenny in, the, in their marriage. I pray that it would be strong and stable from the start, that you would give them um, a deep sense of unity and I pray that, that would uh, they would be so strong in, in between the two of them that they would have a desire and, a, and a, a pleasure in reaching out and blessing others, that it would start at home but that it would bless those around them those at work, those at community um, that it would encourage other people, and that they would be a light that would bring you glory as a couple together
1: mm-hmm. Father I pray for Brock I pray that you lead him as <clears throat> a man of his household and that he takes responsibility for the actions of his bride every single day, and that he leads her well in servanthood and humility, counting everything as lost for the sake of Yeshua and serving his bride with all humility and honor, giving her the respect and love that she needs and deserves. Shemeshua. Amen. Amen.
6: for um, brock and jenny i thank you for them i remember when brock first came and um, sat on our bed and told us about jenny and um, just how precious that was and to hear him speak of the girl of his dreams and i just thank you for her um i pray for her that you prepare her to be a wife mm-hmm. to my son that um, you would just bind them together in your love that you would raise them up as towers of strength and leaders in your kingdom that they would have children that would be an honor and um, blessing to you lord they would be strong in your spirit and might i pray that you would um prepare jenny this week and um to marry my son and that you would just bless them bless them this this week and this year and for the rest of your life
7: And Heavenly Father, I just thank you that, just as your Word says, the two shall become one. I thank you, Father, that uh, Brock continually prays with his wife uh, to uh, to nourish that spiritual bond that's going to be consummated at this wedding too. There's nothing too hard that you can't pray through, um, and putting Yeshua, as Sean had said first place in relationship is always a key because when he's lifted up he'll draw you together Father we just thank you for blessing your
8: marriage, the covenant of marriage Father we just bless you for it. it thank you Father it's a privilege to
7: play. pray with these that you've joined together here in this uh in this little community and we seem to have been blessed with a heck of a lot of young men father i uh i thank you for brock for his participation in our community in our tourist service i pray father for sean and lisa that you would uh, help them to remember all the little things they've got to remember over the next week, year, uh, week and uh, that you'd help them and you'd bless them. Father, I thank you for uh, the opportunity to get together as a community now and pray for them. And I pray that when, <coughs> they, when they come back from their honeymoon that we would eagerly gather them in and include them as a couple. Father, we send away a man and bring back a family and a household. And I'm grateful that you've allowed us to see this and that you have allowed us to participate in the joy of a man taking the bride. We pray that Brock would stand tall, be a man, and he'd remember that everything in that marriage is his fault that he should fix. <laughs> and all God's people say, Amen. 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 <laughs> Yeah, those cards behind you on the piano. My last announcement before my blessed son-in-law, Joshua Spurlock, gets up. Uh, one, two, three, four, five. There are five, count them, five thank you cards. that all have different fronts. Okay? And these are coming around. These have been signed by most of the men of the Tzadikim class of 5774. But you want to sign this, there's going to be some pens coming around as well if you don't have them. This is a thank you to all of my neighbors for what you've done to their cul-de-sac, their driveway, and th- evidently their road while you've been here on Shabbat. And I want to thank the ladies for uh, coming up with this as a, a, an awesome opportunity uh, to minister to my neighbors. So. As these come around, keep in mind that there are five. And uh, so if you see one and somebody hands you one and you're just naturally going to go like that, I've already signed that, Let's take a look at the at the cover. And maybe it's a different cover and you haven't seen it, all right? So those are coming around. Uh, and there's an announcement from the Vino Gallery. Yes, ma'am?
4: Uh, but
7: Thursday was Alanis' uh, birthday and Monday is
9: Oprah's birthday. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Happy birthday, to birthday. To you. All of you. <laughs> Happy birthday to you.
7: God bless you. Um, there there was one other thing I wanted to say while I'm passing these out. Um, Avonlea is single. And beautiful, and it Mm -hmm. turns out she can also make some unbelievable Italian cheesecake. So um, you need to, uh, all of you watching, need to take note. And I have her email address and of of her father.
9: So uh, the guy with the sword. That's
7: right. He
1: he is (laughs) enthralled. That's right.
7: All right, so these cameras are going to start back here. They're going to go that way Migrate and come back, and Timothy will grab them up and give them back to me. Then they will go in the mail on the morrow. Joshua, Chukat, Is that right. All
9: right. Oh,
7: for those of you who. uh, Who are keeping the melacha of not writing on Shabbat? (laughs) (laughs) A A saliva moment (laughs) is not what we're looking for. There's a DNA thing here. If if you're not, I neglected to uh, (laughs) mention. If if that's the case, then. Well, you had out of luck, actually. Is, uh, no. Um, feel free to come by any time tomorrow and sign that. Otherwise, uh, we'll, we'll just end the rest of the Bellator family. That way you're, uh, okay.
5: and, and most of the men, I think, got a chance to sign it on signing class. So that was really cool. those who took the opportunity. Um, speaking of those young men, I think it's really cool. This group has full of young men. And it's actually rapidly diminishing number of young single men. Oh, give it uh, time, give it time, God will work. Well, no, but that's this is the way this is the way that it's supposed to be. The singles are supposed to get married. It's always a little nerve wracking. I remember when I was I was I was a single person, and I remember being around single groups, and it's like I'm a bit concerned. None of my single friends are getting married. That might be. I mean, I'm in the wrong group. But uh, yeah, Baruch Hashem. some
0: people, some singles, it's not.
5: Sometimes it's not, but it is a blessing to be around people who are um, growing and moving forward in life. So congratulations to Brock and to Colby and Michaela, who are next in line, um, and to all the others who don't even know yet. Who are next in line, that's right. Yeah. Um, yes, we have a whole bunch of people. The pressure is on. So this week we are in Hukat. Um This is easily... And when I say this, I mean this in the absolute most respect. One of the weirdest passages of Scripture in the entire Bible. Um, and if you don't think it's weird, then you're probably... Um, yeah, also a bit weird. It's probably the best way to describe that. For but the, uh, the passage is interesting because tradition holds that even the great King Solomon, in all of his wisdom, had no idea what's going on with the red heifer. It is a very unusual thing. And if you read through it, it's... It almost has... I mean, it's funny because we, we know we're not supposed to turn to magic, um, but in some level, it almost feels like there's this dabbling between the physical and the spiritual in a way that we don't even begin to understand. And um, But in this case, this is ordained by Hashem. Um, he makes the rules. We keep them. That's why it's called a chukat. This is this is the decree, ha-chukat, ha, which is the name of the passage. Um, chukat, Chukatim. We'll quote.
2: Actually it's both It's masculine and
1: feminine.
5: Which is weird by itself So there we go Those are the commandments that are inscribed The ones that don't always make sense to us But the ones that we keep anyway Because we trust Hashem to know what he's talking about Even if we don't get it That's actually really cool I think that's something that we should all be encouraged by um, I don't know if you've ever sat down and thought About a lot of your commandments that you keep Whether it's Taking a day off—that makes sense. Even the secular world gets this. You take a day off from work. Take a day off from technology. You know, whatever else. Yeah, the secular world tries to take two days off. <laughs> uh, some of them do. In France, they take three, Gentiles. but you know, but their economy's tanking, it. so doesn't really count. But that's working out really good. if you wear, if you yeah, wear, uh, so well. if you're a guy wearing tzitzit, um, that's another weird <laughs> commandment. You know, people makes probably, no probably a lot of people ask you, why do you do that? But this also has a reason. You can say, that's well, that. but it reminds me of Hashem. You know, it's symbolic and all that stuff. The red heifer is completely beyond our comprehension. And that's okay. Um, As I was like to say, and my wife would quote me every time now and again, I am content for that to remain a mystery. It's okay. We don't have to know or understand everything. And that's encouraging. Um, Especially as we study the theology of Hashem and Yeshua the Messiah. Sometimes it's like, this makes no sense. That's okay. Yes, sir.
7: I was reading in in this terrible version that my friend read Spurlock. Uh, that's recommend, an awesome. Version. Recommend it to us. A message. It's inspired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, this is inspired. Yeah. This is uh, this is the Gutnick and uh, uh, It really, truly is amazing. Um, so if I could, Rambam says nine red heifers. For those of you from Brooklyn, New York, where I'm from, that's actually red cows. I, I, didn't, I didn't know that for the first wow, year. Right, nine red heifers were prepared from the time this mitzvah was given in the wilderness until the destruction of the second temple, which is about here on our wall. The first was was prepared by Moshe, the second by Ezra, and there were seven from Ezra until the destruction of that temple. The tenth, that would be nine altogether, the tenth, according to Rambam, (coughs) will be made by King Mashiach. May he be speedily revealed. Amen. Amen. May this be your will. The fact that Rambam mentions the tenth red heifer that will be made by King Mashiach in his legal code, <coughs> the Mishnah Torah, is understood since Rambam included in his code many laws that will only be applicable in a future era. What is difficult to comprehend is why he included this law with a prayer, quote, May he be speedily revealed. Amen. May this be your will. Surely a legal code is not the place for the author to record his personal emotions and feelings or to lapse into prayerful wishes. Now why
9: not?
7: It could be argued, however, that with his prayer, Rambam did teach us a point of Jewish law, or to be precise, three points. Judaism requires a person, one, not merely to believe intellectually in Mashiach, but also to actively await and yearn emotionally for his coming. Two. Inevitably, feeling this void will lead a person to pray for Mashiach's coming, just as he prays for any other thing that is lacking in his life. And finally, three, being that the requirement to believe in Mashiach is in force at all times, it follows likewise a person must yearn and pray for Mashiach constantly. Therefore, one, Rambam included prayerful wishes here in his (coughs) legal code to indicate that awaiting Mashiach Yeshua must not only be expressed intellectually but emotionally too two, he stresses that Mashiach Yeshua should come speedily to indicate Mashiach's coming should be a personal heartfelt desire, and three he recorded the above principles not in his codification of the laws concerning Mashiach Yeshua but here, out of context, to indicate that one must express a yearning for Mashiach constantly, whatever the context of one's discussion happens
5: to be Hmm. works for me so here we are in the confusing passage, but Messiah is there too. Amen. All over the place. That's right. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I think it's interesting, Doctor. I think it's interesting that the writer of Hebrews, <coughs> even a misunderstanding of the writer of Hebrews, goes to great lengths to compare uh, the offering uh, of uh, Yeshua to uh, the offerings of Yom Kippur, mm. and yet he doesn't do
8: this
5: one. He does. Yeah, he does. That's actually one of the cool parts. Is in, in uh, at the end of Hebrews we get a reference to going outside the camp, which definitely comes up uh, with this particular one. This is one of the only offerings that they take outside the camp that they actually offer.
9: But
0: in, in, my point was that it's not a matter of replacement, and oh, the true. reason why is because this portion says specifically that this is an internal decree. Of course, Yom Kippur does too, and mm-hmm. and many like to ignore that part, but the the important point here is that that correlation there's there's an earthbound correlation Mm -hmm. and taken outside the camp but we're not given that heavenly perspective like we do with young people that's right it's
8: missed Um, so actually Hebrews nine verse eleven for blood of bulls and goats and ashes of a heifer sprinkling, unclean, and sanctifies from the purifying flesh, <clears throat> much more shall the blood of Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offer himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve God. So the writer of Hebrews actually does make a specific connection to the action of the Red Hebron as he compares it to the work of Messiah.
5: And we get another reference to Messiah um I think it's quite possible. This could also help explain a little bit. At the end of this first chapter, we, we say that it says that the one's contaminated, everyone who touches him will become contaminated believing. This would explain possibly why Yeshua is backing off all the women after he resurrects from a grave and says, Don't touch me yet, I have not yet ascended the Father. And everyone's like, whoa, that's just creepy. Like, what are we going, (laughs) like, it's a little little hot from the flames of Hades, you know, know, or something like that. It's like, no, 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 this makes much more sense in this context, even if that doesn't really make sense to us. It's like, oh, I can see that. So, Death is kind of the thing here. Um, I think it's particularly cool that if you study the different types of contamination, the three major ones are um, the woman's time... Nida, in Hebrew. The, uh, and actually, more importantly, if a woman's time goes beyond normal. So if you've got, you got um, issues that are medical that are beyond the normal ones for that. Um, yeah. Then you've got death, and you've got leprosy. Those are the three big ones. The really, really big ones. And Yeshua makes a point of healing all three. Which is particularly cool, because if you think about, this, these three provide separation from the camp. They provide separation from Hashem. I mean, if you've even... If you touch a dead guy, or even a grave, walk across a grave, you've been to a graveyard, you've already done this, and you don't have the ashes of the red hat, like with the whole little little deal there, you can't enter the tabernacle area or you die. Um, so this is an absolute cutoff from the physical presence of Hashem. And the uh, and it's cool because Yeshua, who is, who is obviously his final work, his eternal work, is all about bringing... Um, men to the presence of Hashem in an eternal sense, we have here he is literally physically reaching out and he's raising the dead he's he's healing the leper he's healing the woman who's bleeding and he brings them into a place where they can physically enter the presence of Hashem again, which I think is really cool so we got that there too, yes sir when I read, uh, what
0: Joseph read uh, earlier when I read that um, previously I was struck with the, with the notion that, that Judaism at large, and in particular the Rambam was looking forward to Messiah for many reasons, but a particular one was for this command okay. yeah. to be fulfilled. And and when 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 we when we simply you know do the replacement, there's no need for Messiah to come to us When well, we recognize, in fact, that. It's not just simply about eschatology, somehow we need a temple back, so we need a red heifer, oh there's a red heifer been found and oh let's all go get excited because that means Messiah's coming back, but rather the other way around and that it is absolutely premier to have Messiah come back, but we need him for the red heifer as well.
5: Yeah, I think it's kinda of cool that like we see this additional commandment and an opportunity to keep the additional commandment as a good thing um you know you look you can look at it and think that's kind of weird and now i gotta sprinkle myself with the ashes of this burned up cow um you know twice in a week period and whatever else but again going back we gotta we gotta totally strip out the human logic in our own heads i mean if you read if you if you've been keeping track of the the things that we're supposed to eat or not eat or the way that you're supposed to raise children or not raise children in the last 50 years You have somehow managed to swing from, like, it's all margarine. Now it's all natural butter. Now we're going to do something completely different, you know. there's
1: no cause cancer. Yeah, it's like there's so many
5: different types of things that we've gone back and forth on. And it's like, because human wisdom is is shallow. Human wisdom is limited. We only can see what we can see right now. But Hashem knows the whole picture. And this (coughs) commandment is proof that Hashem knows a whole lot more than we do. Yes, ma'am.
10: So speaking of Messiah, and speaking of things not making sense, first um, chapter 19, verse 9 says, a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the cow and deposit them outside the camp in a clean place to be kept for water of, this is a JPS, they say lustration. Art um, scroll says, the water of purification. Um, for the Israeli community, it is for cleansing. Now, the ESB actually translates this um, for water of impurity, it is impure. It you know, is it's a sin
9: offering.
10: Yeah, it's a sin offering. Yeah. Now, the reason why they translate that, and the reason why there's a huge discrepancy, right, is because the Hebrew is actually weird. <laughs> um, it says, not the whole thing, but in uh, toward the end, where it says, for, for water of impurity or water for purity. It's actually mei ni Water ni da. It's like the menstrual woman's cycle. So it's like, whoa, that, how, how in the world, that's why ESV translates that, well, that's obviously impure. Every time, everywhere else, every time it's used, used for impurity. So right here, you know, it's impurity. But why does our scroll translate it as purity? It's for and they say it's for cleansing, but the word there is khatati which chatati literally means sin. is sin. So, what in the world? So there's there's a real um, paradox there, it's kind of like offense. Like how can something that's made that God designed commanded for purity be called khatat and be called yeah? Um, I and then if you keep going the parsha, describes a little bit of or something. Um, there's the snake right mm-hmm. <laughs> serpents and all that and again you have this offense like what is going on here because like, <laughs> there's, there's a problem serpents are biting people and God tells us to make essentially an idol of a snake now idol is definitely a bad thing and snakes are definitely cursed in Genesis 3 so <coughs> what is going on there but somehow that brings healing right mm-hmm. I think of Yeshua you know 'Cause he if he himself had read the episodic portion today, um
7: He who knew no sin became sin.
10: He who knew no sin became sin for us. And whoever right?
3: hangs on a tree is a curse.
10: Yes, and whoever hangs on a tree is a curse, like Torah says that. So he couldn't have just been a martyr who happened to get, you know, hung by the Romans or you know, he, he this was an intentional planned of God to fit in with this parasha. You know? We read this here and we're like, How is that supposed to work? And there's probably more to it that have, that and she will reveal when he comes again. But I think that's really beautiful how we set it up in
7: the beginning Here is like, this doesn't make any sense, but it'll be really cool when Messiah comes and brings life to this. The way the Gutenberg, the inspired Gutenberg, puts it, is, uh, is uh, ritual purification. Uh, sort of indicating that you don't need purification unless there's been problematic stuff. So yeah. it kind of, instead of picking sides, this is to fix that, mm.
3: that's a good thing, I, I like that. Samuel. My daughter, they was sharing something uh, with us this, this morning. Do you, you, you remember, besides, do <laughs> <the> yeah. you, you remember this morning with the gematria? <coughs> <coughs> what? Gematria. Ooh, got yeah. a little number going. No. The gematria of, of Naesh. Ne, uh, oh, no, Nahash. just, that, that was about later on with the snake. No,
11: what I was thinking about, what you were saying is that, this is a moment where something that's unpure is making something pure. And then Mashiach, and I thought, you know, it doesn't make rational sense in our in our logic. And then I thought, Adam was made by himself. And Hashem knew he was going to need a wife. He knew it wasn't going to be good for him to be a woman. He didn't like discover this later on. Oh, whoops. <laughs> I, had no, I had no idea. But he makes him this way so that he will have a longing in his heart and will mm-hmm. want this bride. And then finally, lets that longing sit there in his heart. So he wants him to have this suffering that's almost, doesn't make quite sense, but then so that he will treasure her. Mm-hmm. And it's the same picture of Mashiach that we want him, that we treasure him. And it's that same kind of, we, we might not understand that, but he wants us to feel that longing. He wants us to, yeah. to, to desire him the so same way he desires Israel, his bride. So that's cool. Mm-hmm.
5: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, uh, this <coughs> passage in general is a very interesting one from a, uh, a because death is something we all deal with. And um, if you've been alive for very long in this world, you've dealt with death, and you've dealt with the tragedy and the difficulty of death. Some of you probably have people who are very close to you. As you get older, your parents pass away. It's very hard. Um, I can only imagine. But then it's interesting that God's response to death, like the main commandment He gives, is a commandment. It's so interesting. Like He could have, like you know, in in order to cleanse the the the, pain, the, the physical contamination of death, He could have had them. You know, okay, well. You need to, like, uh, have this ceremony and sing these songs, and, you know, that, that'll work it all out, and whatever else. And, and actually, we almost get a picture of the wisdom of God in death in this commandment, because it's like, it's a commandment that doesn't make sense. And a lot of times, I think commandments, the, 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 the decision of God to take someone from this world doesn't make sense to us. We don't understand why. Um, but we have to trust him in the midst of that. So how cool is that, that Hashem, in realizing, like, how we need to deal with death is to trust him when we don't understand And so he gives us a commandment that we have to keep, something we have to do that helps us uh, reintroduce that idea of trusting him in ways we don't understand. And I think that's really cool because right after this passage, Miriam dies. Now, there's some discussion about the chronology of it. Is it really like that closely related? But I do think that regardless of the chronology, I think that goes back again to the idea that um, I feel like Hashem, in a sense, is like preparing Moses for this. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing how short this verse is. Miriam died there, and she was buried there. And that's it. And, and I think it's easy to kind of dismiss that it's not that big of a deal, um, chapter 20, verse 1. But, um, but Miriam's, like, super close to Moses. Like, like, I know it's easy to forget that because they don't do a whole lot together, but she was the one who basically saved him. He's out there floating on the, on the Nile, and this uh, princess of Egypt comes and discovers him, and she needs somebody to nurse him. And, she, and Miriam, who's watching over him, is the one who goes up and says, Hey, I know this great Hebrew woman. She can do it. Did I mention she's Moses' mother? That's okay. Um, and so Moses basically owes his entire cultural heritage to Miriam. Um, on top of that, Miriam is also, there's kind of a bond there. Like Miriam's a prophetess. They have this whole, like, song at the sea thing going together. And there's a connection. And, and I can only imagine that this must have hit Moses really hard. Um, and I think it's really kind of neat that right before this we had this reminder of this commandment because I think that that's really what we got to do. you know when you when you deal with difficulties, whether it's a tragedy or whether it's something you don't understand, I feel like a lot of the best way to, to handle that is to reach out and do mitzvot because sometimes we got to pick up the pieces and have faith even when we don't feel like it. Yes, uh, just, just picking up on um, no.
1: picking up on,
8: that, on that passage. You know, the, we, we just in chapter 19 have this you know, kind of strange and unusual ritual that deals with corpse contamination or contamination of death, right? And of course, as we've all, there's a whole lot more there in terms of its connection to Messiah, but uh, because Messiah ultimately is the resolution for death, right? Mm-hmm. So, but right after we go through this description of this, um, the chukat, um, of the Torah, the ashes of the Red Heifer, we go right into the statement in chapter 20 where Miriam died and was buried, followed by verse two. There was no water for the assembly, and they gathered against Moses and Aaron. Right? He's going to the
7: wells, man. Watch out! He's going to the wells. Going <laughs> deep. Going deep. <laughs> right. Let's dive, dive, so, dive. <laughs> so, you
8: know, the, the connection. Why is why is the statement you know, why is the statement of Miriam's death immediately followed by the observation that the, that the water had dried up? There was no water, right? So begs a couple questions. Mm-hmm. Why, wh- you know, why are these two statements next to each other? Because nothing is, you know, Chazal teaches nothing is there by accident, right? And, and you know, if the if, what's this? What source of water are we referring to? And what was the source of water prior to her death, right? And if you uh, if you go back and you remember in Exodus chapter 17, when we you know came out and we crossed the Red Sea and we're making our way towards um, Mount Sinai, we reach a place called um, Marah bitter waters. And well, actually, right before that, right as we came out of the Red Sea. Um, Miriam um, leads the women in dancing and thanking Hashem for the deliverance and the salvation that he he brought to the entire nation. And then that is immediately followed by this um, story of we arrive at this place called Marah Bitter Waters and we have no water to drink because the water there is bitter and it's it's not. You can't drink it. And uh, but God um, God performs a miracle and the whole story with, with this tree and Moses throws a tree in the water and it sweetens the water and now they have water to drink. And then, and then in the same uh, portion we have the rock that Moses struck and, and the water comes out, right? Well, according you know the tradition, according to Gonzalez is that the water from the rock is in is in the merit of Miriam because and there's a connection with the name because Miriam is spelled it's the same Hebrew name with a roche inserted, right? So her, her name you know is made up of water, if you will. Um, so this idea that Miriam dies and and that's almost as a result of her death, the water stops. And, of course, as we read later in this portion, you know, we have that whole round two of, you know, God telling Moses to speak to the rock and, and that whole thing. And we've talked about that in the past, but
9: it's just, it's
8: it's interesting that there's, because I'll say that the water, the, in the, the rock that produced the water is, is also Called the Well of Miriam because it was in her merit that it produced water, just like the manna fell in the of Moshe, and the cloud followed the in the merit of Moses. And so, the fact that she died, the water, the water um, dries up, and so it's just a really neat, um, you know, this really neat connection that, you know, in the merit of her and what she did for the, for the people way back when, that that source of water literally, you know, followed them, not literally, but followed them in the wilderness. Right? And we know that from uh, from, not only seen, but we know that from Paul in First Corinthians chapter 10. So, it's just Let's just pull this off. Can I
4: ask for just clarification? I'm sorry. Tell me again about the name thing. It has something to do with her name actually has water.
8: So the Hebrew word for water is Mayim, yeah. and it's spelled Mem Yud Mem The Hebrew word for Miriam is Miriam. <laughs> and it's spelled Mem Resh uh, Yud uh, Mem Sofit. So it's the same, it's, it's it's got one extra letter, it's got the Resh that gives it the R sound. So in other words, Miriam's name consists of my the
4: water. So there's a connection between her and water. water. Mm-hmm. And it also says too, and people gathered in opposition to Moses. In there, you know, if you want to connect, <laughs> she dies and then everybody's like, perfect. well, she dies so them. The water stops <laughs> and they get And play. then they okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right.
8: <laughs> You're
1: in the desert. <laughs> yeah.
9: yeah.
8: <laughs> My time
1: is up. The day.
9: Uh,
1: <laughs> referring to the death of Miriam, which is a really big deal because it's one of the six remembrances that you're supposed to remember throughout all time so there must be something special about it and the sages also ask a similar question to the Wells why is the death of Miriam put here? and the sequence of events perhaps it's sheerly chronological or perhaps it's thematic if it's thematic, what's the theme they're trying to understand? Well it's right after the ashes of the red heifer, which provide a pretty uh, substantive atonement based upon the parallel with Yeshua and the fact that it's super logical, meaning it doesn't make any sense, so there must be something special to it. So the Talmud asks, why is the death of Miriam recorded right here of all places? And I had looked into this a long time ago when I was looking at, well, why can the death of one person atone for other people? Is that even is that just a Christian innovation, or is there something in there that we could find in a connection to Judaism? And uh, many places in the Talmud where such a notion is asserted uh, positively. This is one of them, where they say, "Why is the death of Miriam put here?" And they answer, "Just because, just as the ashes of the red heifer make atonement for sin." so the death of the righteous atoned for sins and it provides a wonderful parallel because every morning you pray for the remembrance of uh, Miriam and you can likewise make a connection to Yeshua because he the righteous one as First John says the righteous atones for the sins of the many so it's very Jewish and it's very in line with Talmudic uh, thought that the death of one righteous person can atone for the sins of many as Miriam did I mean, it's out of pain. Yes. And Absolutely.
11: It's kind of interesting because she dies, and when Moshe and Aaron dies, the people wept. When she dies, they don't weep. Yeah. So it's like they all became dried up. Like mm. They all mm. were dry. Mm. Mm. It's almost not even just physically, but spiritually, they just became so dried up but and hopeless. The, the,
8: other, the other, that's a good point, and the connection there is she's a prophetess, mm-hmm. right? And a prophet or prophetess is you know, has the gift of bringing forth the word of God, right? Mm-hmm. So, and the word of God elsewhere in scripture is is like water, mm-hmm. right? So, the fact that this prophetess who was a guiding light to the nation in many, in many, you know, in many ways dies, right? It's like you have this temporary cessation of the flowing of the word of God to the to the people, and and so it is. It's kind of like the idea of famine in Scripture. Mm-hmm. When there's a when there's a little there famine, it's often connected with a spiritual famine in lack uh, in the sense of uh, you know uh, lack of the word of God or lack of obedience to the word of God. Paul says in Ephesians that men
7: should wash their wives with the word of God. Right. We've
5: got a. One of the things mentioned, the complaining here and getting into the water. And um, the sages, there's two complaints in this parasha. Um The first one is here with the water, and the second one is later with the snakes. And um, the sages actually say, well, you know, they look at them and they kind of, it's like, how could the children of Israel complain again? You know, like there's been so many miracles, what's still going on? And actually, chapter 20, they give the people of Israel a complete pass. And they actually have a good reason for it. The reason is, they look at it and they say, you know, water is something you absolutely have to have to survive. When you don't have that, complaining may not be the best response, but it's completely understandable. And God shows a great amount of compassion and mercy on them, even if they're maybe doing it the wrong way, because he realizes they have a legitimate need. Later, when they complain about this insubstantial food, um... Uh, God has no mercy on them at some level. I mean, some mercy, obviously. But he, he unleashes immediately a punishment for that because they've complained about something he's given them. Um, they've complained about something that's this, this amazing. They just got bored of it. And um, I think that that's also important for us and also for, um, our, uh, for those of you who do have children to remember that... Um, you know, at some level, it's understandable when you go through a difficulty or go through a problem, whatever else. You have a need that's real to to respond to that, and to feel unhappy, and to maybe lament that. But um, at the same time, there, we especially for our own lives, we should have like zero tolerance for complaining about things that are otherwise good. You know, most of us live a pretty easy life. We have very little that we have a right to complain about. Yes, sir.
12: So at this point, the current generation of the Israelites. They're not entering the land, right? They've already had the gold captains the incident. They're not They're not going against the next generation that goes in. But oh,
5: I think this is the generation, generation that goes in. Everybody's dead. Skip real quick. Oh, Everybody everybody's dead but two oh, guys. Okay. Skip the
12: head and then we're going to skip back. Where are you we're at, the, we're at the correct generation to enter the land. Most of the Naren are still alive. And it's here where they you know, Moses strikes the rock twice and Aaron gets sucked into that somehow. Mm-hmm. Now they can't enter yeah, the land. I, I thought it was interesting because I guess... I don't know why I always thought this, but I hadn't, I hadn't made a connection that they were separate from everybody else. They were actually going to go in until this moment, mm. and, I was, and it didn't seem like Aaron really did anything other than not stop Moses. Well, that's that was my comment.
7: Could could everybody just kind of look at their Bibles real quick and look at chapter twenty and verse twenty-four, please? Chapter twenty and verse twenty-four, especially uh, new moms who have the JPS. <laughs> chapter 20, verse 24. My Mahabba said, <laughs> Aharon will now be gathered to his people. He will not come to the land which I have given to the children of Israel. Why? Because you, Moshe, defied my word at the waters of strife. Just like Brach just said. Does anybody have something different than that? Is it, is there is, is there some kind of pronouncement? that? Chork there? Yeah. Well, is For, plural or singular? I, I'm not that good. I don't know.
5: Looking at the Hebrew. Both of you is it you yes. or y'all?
10: It's plural. It's
5: plural.
7: Yeah. It's yeah. plural. It's so y'all.
10: Yeah.
7: So y'all defied my word. The <laughs> <y'all>. <laughs> of You're
9: right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So Aaron did sin. Well, it doesn't even matter because he's about to die. But he, was well, he, maybe he wasn't about to death. I, I think his death was determined. I, was think like, death I think his death was caused. In the land, I
7: think cause his death die. was caused by removing the ironic garments. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that he took those garments off and bam, yeah, guy just yeah.
1: dropped it. But that's not actually the point. But had he kept them <laughs> on, he probably
7: would have lived another <laughs> couple of
1: hundred years. But not entered the lobby. <laughs> Evidently, nope.
7: it seems so. So. So there seems to be a question <laughs> about what <laughs> he what Aaron did because
12: he didn't strike No, maybe so. I guess my only thought was that he did not stop Moses from striking it. Whoa, whoa!
7: Don't hit that! No! 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 Oh, just, so whoa! 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 Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> so whoa, whoa. I, whoa! 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 I, I thought yeah, the it he <laughs> stop something. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to I wanted to go ahead and, and go strike down a, a different path, yeah. but am <laughs> <I>, I'm, <laughs> un- I'm unwilling to go down that path. Unless we could have somebody, for the sake of those who We've are got here, another comment on the air here. here. Maybe for the sake of those who are after the Aaron camp if uh, somebody here could just kind of parallel the whole two
2: rock deal with Mashiach. That was what I was kind of Okay. Would okay. you... <laughs> Thank you. God bless you. Please. So this is not the first time there's been a rock being struck and water coming out. So the other time is in Exodus 17 or 18. Um... And that, this, that, of course, the parallel there, God, 39 years told, ago. Of course, God told Moses to strike the rock, and the water will come forth. Um, this time God said to Moses, speak to the rock, and then water will come forth. He did it, he, st- he struck it twice, and then God seemingly overreacted. Why do you kick the leader of the nation of Israel, who spent his life in exile, is not allowed to even cross over into the land of which... If, if anyone deserves a right, he has the only right, really, out of every, it's this right there. Why the overreaction? So, supposedly, two different two rocks parallel two different comings of Messiah. Um, in fact, the, the two words for rocks are, are, are completely different. The first word, God said strike the Zor rock. This time, it's actually the word selat, <coughs> which is like a completely different word. And if you look at the Psalms, those are really neat to, to, to find out when they're used and the connotations of them. But the first time... The, the rock came, the first time the Messiah came, what was the instruction that God expected that the rock would be struck, right, that was the point Messiah came to be afflicted and to be um, smitten and that's, that is fulfilled in, in the parallel of Moses striking that rock, the second time
10: the word for strike there, like strike the rock is actually the same word that's used in Isaiah 53 of right. smitten right. was smitten on for our yeah.
2: second time God does not want Messiah to be struck again. That that, that fulfillment has already happened. Now it's when you speak to the rock. That's the you, you usher in and you greet the Messiah during the second coming. And for those that try to strike the rock again, there is a denial of entry into the next best place, whether it's the land of Israel, whether it's Alam Haba, that's what the parallel is showing you. And even if you do strike it, it doesn't prevent God from allowing that rock to bring forth living waters, it may sustain you, you know, for a while but um, ultimately that will cause Moses and by extension the people that try to strike Messiah the second time, denial into the, the land of Israel
7: I mean, there's also a difference in the Hebrew in both cases in the first one it says that water will come out of the rock in this one it says the rock will give you water. And the rock is actually going to do it on its own. right? And uh, today, uh, this week, uh, uh, I told Alan last night at our Shabbat table that I, I was, I was marveling at, at, uh, at God's grace and, and my lack of faith. Let's say, just for sake of argument, that Moshe didn't take the rock. Let's say he said, we need some water. What do you Do you think water would have come out of the rock? Yeah. Do you think just talking to a rock would make water come out? Yes. Yeah. I tell you what, if you say yes, if you say it, it's faith. There's nothing logical. Talk about chokha, right? There's nothing logical about expecting water to come out of a rock of the rock's volition for you. That's stupid. That's illogical and it takes faith. And I thought to myself I have been in front of battalions and there's no way that I would expect a rock to give water. To me that just is Well, it's unexpected, actually. And that takes a lot of faith. The interesting thing here is that the the sages, uh, as you read through the Talmud, and you read through the uh, Midrash, uh, there's one behind it, too. um, There is an extraordinary frenzy in the rabbis to try and come up with an answer for why Moshe didn't make it into the land. Why was this such a big deal? And of course, two companies in Messiah doesn't normally come up in the list. It, you will. Know. it will. It, it will, <laughs> right. But um, as, as they're scrambling for an answer, one of them was uh, hit home for me this week. And that was that in the first case, as, as Jonathan said, the rock was made to bring forth the water. The rock was hit. It was smitten. It was struck to cause it to give forth its water, and there was a uh, an oppression, if you will, by God on nature, on, on the water, on the rock to give the water. Um, in this case, it's it's almost as if, and the sages in one case say. The reason why Moshe did not make it into the land is because there was a lesson the people of Israel could have learned at this one point, and they didn't get the opportunity to learn it because Moshe blew it. And the lesson that they could (laughs) have learned was, look, it's nothing but a rock. And at the call of Hashem, at the behest of the Creator, the rock would give water for the nation and the animals. If a rock would be obedient and subservient to Hashem, how much more should you? A kol Homer argument, you know, lesser or more. If I can't pick up 50 pounds, I certainly can't pick up 100 pounds. If a rock will listen to Hashem and be obedient, how much more should I? And they didn't get that message because he chose to strike it rather than... Give the lesson.
5: Another critique I've heard of Moses um, here is he uh, he kind of turns on the people. He's like, You rebels! Now I'm going to strike this Sons rock and of main, a uh, uh, perverted uh, rebellious, rebellious woman. I can say that a lot. Anyway, so they, uh, and um, as a critique there though, because uh, one of the things that uh, we've been talking about more in our household is the issue of Lashon Hara, is evil speech. And in this case, Moses definitely crosses the line there. Like these people may have been complaining, they may have you know again be complaining, but it's like, a it doesn't doesn't necessitate calling names, and b at this particular moment they just follow them out there. I mean, if there was ever a time where he'd be like, okay, the time to get mad was about two hours ago, not now, and um, and I think that that's something we have to keep in mind too, because sometimes it's easy to like you know justify it, be like yeah well, but that's what happened. And I feel like I need to I need to speak about what happened. I need to I need to vent to somebody or whatever the case may be. And you know Moses gets in trouble here earlier with the whole uh, when he's doing the signs on the mountain with the burning bush, and he has the the leprosy thing. The sages link that to the Shonara in general. And this particular instance they do again because it's right before he puts his hand in his in his pocket here. His breast area gets it turns to leprosy. He says people won't believe me. I'm going to go in and, and basically God's saying that uh you know you're you're speaking badly to these people without knowing whether or not they'll trust me and you're just assuming the worst and so he puts his hand in and it comes out leprous so that's a, that's a strong reminder for us yes sir i got you and i got you and i got you so uh,
8: so just to dovetail on that the, the other thing the other critique possibly of moshe is uh in addition to the the shamara is, what is you know, he, he makes the statement, listen how rebels shall we bring forth water mm-hmm. from the from the rock. In other words, wait a minute, hold on though.
9: <laughs>
8: You're not bringing water from anything. That's right. Who's this we? <laughs> right. You know this <laughs> is, this is how, in other words, one possible critique is he kinda he kinda took it on himself like he's the one that's gonna bring forth mm. the water and his brother. And, and his brother, right? As opposed to, you know, you should have said, "Will God bring forth?" You know, in other words, because that's who's going to do it, right? So that's another key. Um, to, t- to tie into Brock's comment about possibly why did Aaron get chastised in this process as well, I, I think I think possibly there is a, a connection there because we know from Exodus that Aaron was the mouthpiece for Moshe.
9: So God
8: spoke to Moshe and said, "You speak to the rock." But, the, but, the, when he says that to Moshe, by default, it it implies that Aaron would actually do the statement because he's the <laughs> mouthpiece. So Aaron, so Aaron either failed to do it or failed to prevent, you know, Mo- Moses from yeah. you know, taking the other action. So therefore, he's yeah. you know, pardon he's, the party exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so now the, um, uh, the the other uh, the other thought which I may have just lost my train of thought on that, no, but um, the
5: train has left the station.
10: <laughs>
5: <laughs> um, yeah, I lost
8: my train of thought. I had another point, but we'll come back to me
5: in a second. Right, got you.
10: Um, just quickly, I think it's interesting what God says to Moses. Like why what's God really Rushing out here? And he says, Because you did not believe in me. Mm-hmm. So I mean, yes, he spoke rashly. Yes, he said, you know, what? Well, well, we do this, we so he said, like all these things. But ultimately, the reason God is lending to the lens is because he didn't believe in it.
7: Mm-hmm. Because our faith is born out by our actions. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I was
10: thinking of James. When James Absolutely. says, you know, don't be deceived. Like, desire, when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin, when it's fully wrong it brings forth death. Don't be deceived. So I think that's really neat. It's like, that's really sobering, I think, for me. It's like, you can think. Yeah, I'm pretty good on the outside. Inside, I've got a couple they things i am dealing with, but you know, on the outside, I'm just pretty, pretty squeaky clean, you know? And Moses was a leader, and he brought forth. I mean, God, the way it works, like he kind of disobeyed a little bit, but the water still came forth. But God said, no, I know you're hurt. You know? Mm-hmm. If your heart's not here before me, then that's, that's what's most important, so. Because what's on the inside will manifest on the outside. Mm-hmm.
4: But only at that moment. I mean, we can't say Moses' heart was
10: you know, like, like so well, yeah, I'm not saying yeah. but I'm just saying like right.
5: But we live in a life that's I think a, a series of opportunities to test our faith. I mean, I think that our faith is somewhat dynamic, it's somewhat fluid. It goes up, it goes down. And at this particular point, Moses was down. Dude, some say baseball was down
0: because he struck out. Yes, sir, and then goodbye. Yeah. The Gutnik actually deals with this as well. And, and mm. just to be clear, the Gutnik, when it adds things, puts it in, in practice or yep. parentheses. So you know that it's been added. They're not adding to it. But they use, they use sources like the Nagaraj and Rashi as well. And the Gutnik actually says that Moses and Aaron spoke to the rock. Right. They did speak to the rock. And they didn't bring forth water. And that's when they got frustrated. Wrong rock. Yeah. Well, that's right. It says yeah, so he spoke a, to the wrong rock. Yeah.
7: They didn't know which rock, and he spoke to the wrong rock. But anyway, but it, but it that take matters. it take it for what it's worth, yeah. but the is that point the is there,
0: that, bears, <laughs> that bears to the same idea that Aaron was actually doing speaking, yeah. number one. And there is that also bears very much towards what Lori was saying. There was disbelief in Moses' heart. It wasn't that, I mean, Moses seen all sorts of things happen. Why? Of course, he could speak. Of course, there would be water come out of the rock. It wasn't that. It was that if he spoke and it didn't happen, yes, you would then doubt.
9: Hmm.
7: Listen, you rebels. How could we draw water for for you from this rock if it's not the right one? Right. Hmm.
5: Yes, sir. In the back. The
8: point. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, the midrash and, and talking about the rock that followed them in the wilderness, right, which we mentioned shall fix upon to the side. Okay. They say, according to Midrash, that when that the Midrash followed them for forty years, the, the Rock followed them for forty years in the wilderness, and, and went into the land with them. And ultimately, the Rock came to rest in the, at the north end of the Sea of Galilee. Hmm. That's and what the Midrash says. That's what the Midrash says. That's said. scary. Okay. That it. That it, 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 it. At the north end of the Canara, this Rock. Came to rest there. Now we know from Shaul the rock <coughs> is Messiah, right? It's a, it is a it's a picture of Messiah, and we know of course from both the Gospels that Messiah, you know, was born in Nazareth, which is the north end of the you know, a little bit a little bit um, west, but north and west of the Canara, and spent most of his time. Doing you know, says he lived at
9: Capernaum, Co- Co- uh, Co- 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 which is, is the right, north which is end of the right. you know,
8: uh,
12: north end of the, of
8: the
5: so it's you know you can't make the stuff up. Yeah, it's just so cool. <laughs> okay, that's very cool.
12: Rock. Uh, going forward a little bit, <laughs> Moses now can't enter the land. Did Canary, but he still has to do stuff so that the rest of Israel can enter the land. I don't know, but you guys, but when. When something, so happens, grapes yeah, it's like when something happens, now I can't do something, but I have to help somebody else do it. Turn in your badge, open your desk, you clean out your desk. That's right you yeah. now. It's difficult, but Moses doesn't seem to, you know, well, I mean, it's not really insight to how he feels, but like he, he sends out the messengers, mm-hmm. he makes he appropriately asks to enter the land, It's not like mean about it or anything. Um, so he seems to go at it with a good heart just by what i read.
5: And actually, for most, to Moses' credit, I think that he has an immediate change of heart on that one. I mean, I think very quickly he realizes that this is a mistake, and I think it's really cool to see from here on out we have no more problems with Moses. That's pretty impressive. I
7: mean, not, think Not about. only that, but he actually did to yeah. well, he no, to he to get to, land. Land. No, he he to stand in the land. Well, he gets to look at the land. He stood in the oh, land. Well, okay. Wow. Well, Next God to Yeshua, oh, yeah. he was on that mountain, not only that, in
12: the land of
1: so saw Messiah, which none of us have. Yeah, that's, the yes, that's right. true. That's very true. Yeah, that's the, <laughs> I mean, that's so the power is of there, Yeshua. He's there. Right. So, and that's okay. the thing. It's very true. Four directions. Because he was able to look in all four directions. That's right. See all. It's must have
9: been in the, the land. Oh, all it's four length, directions. Its length oh. and its breadth. That's good.
0: Good. Yeah, they say they you can't s- see four directions if you're at the edge of it. If you've That's ever right.
5: been in the land of Israel, too, on a high mountain, they often say on a clear day you could see the whole land of Israel. It's never that clear. <laughs> <laughs> so this was the cl- that was definitely the clearest day in all of history. Yes, Mom? One
4: of the things I see here is mercy extended, because the people are griping and complaining like they ought and they're actually blaming Moses for bringing them out, but she was simply being obedient. And then Moses comes to a place where for whatever frustration, he strikes the rock. And yet the water still comes out. Mm. And, you know, mm. there are consequences for our sin. And Moses and Aaron both have to look through those consequences. But God doesn't deny the people what they need.
1: Mm. True.
4: And so I think, you know, he could have said, okay, you, you all, all messed up. You're just going to have to keep walking until you find some water. But he didn't. It poured out. And it didn't... Trickle out, you pour it out. Mm, mm-hmm. Absolutely, People Marianne. Yeah, a couple of things. Did mine just says that because you will not bring this community into the land that I give them? So, is there someplace else that said Moses was not allowed to go into the land? And well,
5: he asks multiple times. Right? So he doesn't. And leave. God says, "You can't." Okay. So there's yeah. It comes up in Deuteronomy. Okay, and, and this then. Is the
4: I also want to know to if we know or if we can, you know, posit this. Whether his household—did that include his household too? No. They couldn't go either.
3: No. Uh,
5: it looks like it's just most. It Aaron. <laughs>
4: yeah. Okay.
12: And
5: his
3: son. Yeah. And then I right. love
4: this. I, that that I think um, Laurie. See, I thought this was. Cool. because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites. Wow. Trust, honor, holy. Yeah. There's some sort of thing like some seem like something I should to look at. <laughs> mm, yeah. Trust, honor, holy in the sight of the Israelites. So so it the public. Uh, mm. Mm.
7: Public. Mm-hmm. Affirmation of
4: God. God honor. Holiness is somehow in your world.
0: Similar to the erasing of his name.
4: Right. Mm-hmm. Wow.
0: Yes, sir. Uh, to
7: Janet's point, um, there was mercy given to the people in spite of the leaders, and uh, and the leaders were punished for their unbelief and for their disobedience. And this is mentioned again in the Apostolic Scriptures. that there is a, uh, I think it was a James chapter three, I think it's three, not four, three,
1: three open. Don't desire to be many teachers. Yeah,
7: three. Three. So uh, you know the the concept that you know we some of us are frustrated that those practicing the visible expression of the church are not keeping the commandments, recognizing um, God's people have already been chosen and Gentiles get to join to them rather than replace them and so on. Um and many of us who've been watching this for some time and perhaps have been in leadership in the visible expression of the church recognize that it's not the sheep the sheep are not the problem and God has mercy, as Janice said absolutely. on those sheep thats they're not the problem oh, our, our friends and family um, are not the issue, it is the leaders it is the men and now women who are in the pulpits that are teaching in leading these people to astray, that will bear the burden, that will bear the yeah. punishment, and as Jonathan says, perhaps in the next best thing
5: to come, the world to come may not participate. You're going to get scared if any of you like uh, feel a sense a tug of leadership on you. Read the read through some of the critiques of the leaders in the Book of Ezekiel. Wow. God really brings the hammer yeah, down on really. them. And it's a big deal to lead people astray. Yeshua makes a comment about that too, about getting tossed, better to tie a big rock around your neck and get thrown into a the lake than to, uh, and to lead a young person astray. Um, speaking of young persons going astray, we get a little bit further in, and we have this whole snake thing. There's a really cool little, like, uh, midrash-type deal on this one. And if you have a, if you have an art scroll humash, I'm going to shamelessly promote this right now, um, they uh, they have lots of cool commentary at the bottom uh, from a whole host of different persons, and that's really neat. Um, and the uh, the serpent issue, basically, the people of Israel they get they get to a spot and they are not in a good mood. They've had they were gonna take a shortcut, and if you've ever gotten stuck in awful traffic and thought to yourself I should have taken the shortcut, that's this times fifty because they're in the middle of the desert and they've got and they're hot and they're tired and they don't have anything to eat. And Edom said you can't cut through our land Which would have been the shortcut to get to the land of Israel So they're going around the land of, is- of Edom And they just lose it And they are upset and they are mad And they complain specifically about the manna And it's interesting because the commentary here uh, From the sages Says that God punishes them with a serpent Which is really kind of an interesting like punishment so It's almost like a, it's a, uh, in, in Judaism they talk about the concept of measure for measure What you do You receive a punishment that matches what you do so in this case, the people of Israel who have the greatest food ever, the food of angels, they're eating manna, and they complain about the lack of taste, they are then punished by the serpent, whose curse was he wouldn't be able to taste his food. He had to eat dust. So uh, this essentially, it's almost like the serpent's like, you think you have it bad! Uh, but that's basically what they have to deal with here. And I think it's interesting, also interesting in this passage, They actually make a really if you read the Hebrew it's really weird they come to Moses and they say and this is in verse 7 I believe it says pray to Adonai that he remove from us the serpent and it is Hanachash it is the serpent Um, it's not multiple ones which again going back to what we read in John there's definitely an intentional parallel between the serpent in the garden and sin and all of that and the serpent here in the wilderness God is lifted up has lifted up right um moving forward here because we're actually well, wait, going wait, to, oh yeah. Oh,
9: oh, hey, hey. it's a fiery snake yeah
5: oh yeah i'll get you in a second yes sir is so,
0: this isn't an average snake Fire. Mm. or snakes snake it's not an average snake it's a fiery snake
5: it sounds kind of demonic mm-hmm.
0: yeah um when you consider the fact that the that the Caroline that were placed on top of the ark As uh, Temple Institute likes to render them. They look a lot like, and seraphim look a lot like a snake. Not, not in the sense of a you know twisty snake, but they don't have legs, right? That one you know thing kind of goes out and their feet are joined together, as it were. That's mm-hmm. the rendering, right? Consider that, and, and and this is this is something that the detractors of scripture would often bring up. Says, so okay, so you're not allowed to have idols, but you could have put a bronze snake on a pole. Hey, what about the ark of the covenant? Hey, what about the fact that everywhere you look, anywhere in the temple or the tabernacle, there's images of angels, you know? And but you're not allowed to have an idol. Which idol? You know, the pagan the pagan leaders and the pagan idol worshipers point the finger and go. Well, we, we, we worship idols and we admit it, but y'all worship idols and, and you don't admit it, right? And it, and it seems to it seems to be here that that that, and we learn actually when we, when we get later on in the story that this that Hezekiah des- destroys this bronze serpent because it's becoming an idol. So so the I- it's not the image that makes it an idol. Mm-hmm. It's not the the shape that makes it an idol, uh, because as we see, we could we could. We could possibly draw a correlation between the image of a snake and the image of an angel, right? It's not the image; it's the fact that the focus of people's attention or the focus of their worship—they had started offering sacrifices to this 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 uh, ancient bronze thing that God told Moses to make. And and what we need to always remember, and I know people are sometimes sometimes concerned by you know the. Touching, of kissing of your, uh, touching of the tzitzit to the to the to the Torah, and kissing it or whatever else. Like somehow this is a God has given us holy objects, but never the holy objects to take our attention off of Him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when the people were told to look at the bronze uh, at the bronze serpent on the pole, their attention was drawn to Him. And as we as we read later on, uh, Yeshua himself talking about this and and. Correlating himself between this, it's it's the image. It's not the image. It's the fact of where people put their attention.
4: You. So
8: if I can if I dovetail onto that statement, you know that that object in the desert, you know that brought that brought that God used to bring deliverance, right? If people, you know, put their you know put their focus on on it as a again as a as a um, as a of reference you know for a Shen. but later to Ron Spurlock's point it actually became an idol and we read in Second Kings where um, you know it ultimately had to be destroyed because the people were starting to worship this bronze serpent. I wonder you know can I, can a symbol like the cross. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Or man, you know, or, or even even Jewish symbol yeah. scroll. You know, tor scroll or a Jewish you know, or what
9: <laughs>
8: we I think there's a lesson here that the symbols are helpful, they're important, they should bring us back to remember, just like the Zizi we see it we remember the commandments, right? It, and, and those are that's that's all good and that's the good proper use of those symbols. But you know, if, if if you begin worshiping the cross, you're probably at some point going to cross an line you um, don't want to cross, it, right? Right.
5: Yeah. I think that, um, and I think that we see that even here because the sages say that it wasn't just looking at the serpent that healed them, but it was it was looking at the serpent mixed with the faith and obedience. Hang on, just one moment. I, this gentleman's been very patient here. Chapter
2: twenty one. The Canaanite king of Arad, who dwelt in the south, heard that Israel came by the route of the spies, and he warned against Israel and be captive from it. This made me think of right now. There's three young teenage boys mm. that mm. were Correct. kidnapped on the way home from school, sure. and um, yeah, from Yeshiva, basically. And it's yes. going on what, like two weeks now. There's yes. three weeks. Mm. Three weeks now. So, uh, I mean, and the ironic thing is, the Canaanites, you know, the king of Arad is you know, a descendant of Amalek and it right. it's the same oh. people that are still doing the same kidnappings and the same tactics have not changed mm-hmm. you know, you keep those families mind. and those the whole situation in your mind and, um, and your prayers is still unresolved
5: I think it's hashtag bring our boys bring home mm-hmm. bring our boys bring back, back our boys. bring back our boys bring that's good. it
7: uh, just to dovetail on both of the gentlemen on that side uh, the room, there, were obviously the checking out and resting. Uh, uh, you know, we're in the prayers that uh, that uh, Taylor is leading us through in the morning, uh, and we 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 get into that part that talks about you know we get these angels talking to these angels and these angels and you know and basically if if you get the catch of it, it's just a. Like and it's like stair-stepping it us up closer and closer uh, to the presence of God. Um, uh, the the Hebrew is right. Hanekashim, HaSeraphim. Right. The Seraphim that we pray about is mentioned here. That's, right. so that's like the fire. that's the fiery part of this. Is uh, so. Um,
5: Same word, by the way, is used regarding the red Heifer, Seraph.
7: Yes, yes. And in the beginning of this, we've got it. Shalach. Uh, these, were, Fire. these were sent by God to be a fiery representation
5: mm.
7: so yeah. they weren't normal snakes they weren't nor,
5: yeah, nor,
7: nor was the copper or bronze one that was fashioned that was lifted up and I think as the people of God who in Messiah Yeshua it's a mistake for us ever to reference that bronze or copper snake that Moshe made without mentioning that it was lifted up. Absolutely. Because that's parallel. It it provided no health. It provided no healing until it was lifted up and the people needed to look to Absolutely. it in the same way as Messiah said, that he would be lifted up. Yeah. Just, Just looking to him take is all it takes. To add to that. Let's where now they're checking out, apparently
8: it's moving. <laughs> 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 do not let us move from oh,
5: here. You do not oh, wait, everybody's back up, it's time
2: to go. <laughs> <laughs> don't be on the outskirts. I think, I think we may, maybe, maybe it was, I mean, mentioned this earlier, but
8: the, the gematria of Nachash, certainly, has the same gematria of Mashiach.
7: Yeah.
8: Wow. <coughs> oh, she didn't mention that. Is that what you were going to
5: mention? That's uh, very cool. So,
8: so there is a clear
7: connection yeah,
5: with here, and
8: of course Yeshua makes that claim in his own statements. Which is very but,
5: intriguing, just to, before I just interrupt you real quick, because um, oddly enough, one of the main leaders of Israel to this point has been not shown from, from Judah, um, and he is, he is a whole lot of cool midrash about him taking the lead of the people of Israel at the Sea of Reeds. He's the first guy that goes in the water and then they part. And uh, his name is also related to Serpent, which is a really odd name, I have to admit. I uh, love that name. But it fits in so cool when My you think about it. it. <laughs> Snake Boy! Snake Boy! <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm leaving
0: the J's I'm moving on to the end. <laughs>
8: Point is he says to fashion to a pole. The word for pole here in the Hebrew is the word ness, oh,
9: yeah. huh. which is also the same
8: word for sign, miracle, or, or miracle neskadol So, so you have um, you have some really cool connotation when you yeah, when you we know, read in the prophets about he'll raise a banner right in, in to the people, the people right that's. That's me seem the nine me you have to reward our banner. You know that it's that it's that word, but it's also used for pole here because it's that same concept, right? It's a flagpole wow. to to draw people to. It's a rallying point, if you will. And, I th- uh, it but it's also word? a miracle in Isaiah. The miracles of God draw people.
5: Right? Is the same word in Isaiah where it says the uh, talking about. Um, he will be assigned to the Gentiles.
8: Yeah, that's that's that's. Um,
5: that's <coughs> cool, cool. Very cool. You and then you.
3: Well, what was really cool in that in this article is a was it a Habara article? Yeah, Habara article. It was by a, a what was her name? It was a lady, right? Had written the article. Which one? The one about like the
11: the <laughs> one about the
3: <laughs> that had the gematria and everything. Uh,
11: no, Could, I, think I think it's really. just a basic. teacher. T-
3: well, Other the thing is, it was talking about the um, the how can it be that when you look upon mm-hmm. something that brings, you know, debt, sickness, and death, bring healing to you, you know, but that's what that's what it did, you know, putting that serpent up on the fold looking up, looking upon. He said to look upon it, and, and it would bring in the same way when we look upon Yeshua, you know, the sin on, he was made sin for us. As we look upon that, it brings rest you know healing for us but um this person said something about after the gematria thing do you remember it was something about that that when mashiach comes he will restore what the snake had done
11: yeah i was talking about how the venom of a snake and then there's also an antidote and like that can be gone from the same snake so Mm -hmm. it's kind of that same relationship where Mm -hmm. the death the curse that mashiach had on himself yet brings us complete restoration
7: Cool. Very, cool. very cool. Did you have
9: a comment? I did, yeah. Um, this is my wife. <laughs> <laughs> um, What's up? Yeah. No, I was
13: just thinking about uh, the the bronze serpent on the pole, um, which is very easy to picture um, for me because um, we see it all the time. It's the it's a symbol of medicine, a yeah. mm. symbol of the doctor, uh, which is uh, obvious where they got that correlation. But um, I I was just thinking recently that. Um, as as we see later in, in history in the Bible, um, the serpent was uh, later caused the, the children of Israel to stumble, the bronze one day. And I, I feel like um, that's even somewhat true today because I feel like um, a lot of people have deified doctors and medicine and there's, the They're they they're an absolute authority. Whatever your doctor says you have to do because well, it is the doctor. doctor you know and so um, and I don't have anything against doctors. It's, it's, it's they're very helpful, but um, <clears throat> but I, I do feel like like some people um, they do they do look at the doctor and the medicine as what is healing them, mm-hmm. when really you know it's God that brings the healing.
9: Mm-hmm.
13: Um, even even the way that this this account is worded here, um, God just says anyone who is bitten will look at it and live. He doesn't say the serpent will heal them he will heal them mm-hmm. and they are healed through their obedience to him mm-hmm. and his instructions are just to look at the serpent not that the serpent doesn't <coughs> heals them but hey, i feel like even today we we go to a doctor and we think that the doctor will heal us mm-hmm. but that's not ever true it's always god who heals us and sometimes he'll use a doctor to do that
5: absolutely yeah, i think that's definitely true Having spent a lot of my life, unfortunately, around doctors <laughs> as a child, um, I recognize that like, doctors can do a lot of good things, but you're right. It's only through the power of Hashem. And I think the mistake a lot of times. This is true of a lot of stuff. I think it's interesting that you mentioned the idea that you take something good that God uses and then you make it into an idol. There's a long list of things that can be that. It can be doctors, it can be your job it can even be your family, it can be a spouse, it can be a whole bunch of things because none of these things were meant to be the end all. They weren't meant to, to resolve it. It's all about leading you back to Hashem. That was the point of all of these things. Mm-hmm. And if they become that replacement for Hashem, where you don't need Hashem anymore because you have this amazing woman in your life, or you don't need Hashem anymore because you have children and that fulfills you, and whatever the case may be, even these really good things can become idols. And then you end up losing sight of the whole purpose of it in the first place, um, and that's when it becomes destructive. And that's so. That's a really good point, Juliana. Very good. Um, we are nearing the end here, so we want to kind of start to wrap up some of our comments. Um, I thought it was kind of cool if you read throughout this entire story, this entire parsha. This is easily like one of the hardest stretches for the people of Israel. <coughs> it feels like because individual events, maybe not as traumatic as perhaps, like, getting kicked out of the land. That was pretty bad. But, boy, this this whole parasha, it reads like your worst week ever. I mean, it's like, you went here, this bad thing happened. This person died. Then you got this group, and they wouldn't let you in. Then this group attacked you, and then this person died. And, then th- and it's like, it's just unbelievable. It's a stretch where, like, one bad thing happens after another. Coming out was as bad as getting in. Oh, it's rough. And they, uh, the people of israel as they're as they're going through all this it'd be understandable because they start to complain they have the serpents they get i mean i say that was a good thing but um you know and it's cool because at the end of the passage we get these two battles right at the very end and the first one deals with the children of uh is it amorites make sure i get my uh people groups right um they come and they attack the people of israel or they they, they say they try to go through the land they say no They send their army and, and israel attacks them again Yes, yes, Sihon. So another bad thing. But then, immediately after that, they get faced with another big, huge group, and this one's way worse. Because Sihon was your typical king, who's, as we can read in this passage, a pretty successful military strategist. He's a typical guy. Og of Bashan is a giant. And if you don't believe me, go read a little further in your Bible, you see that his, his bed, he was so big, his bed had to be made out of iron because it couldn't hold him up. The guy was huge tradition holds and this is i don't think this is true because i believe the flood wiped out everybody tradition holds og survived the flood by like clinging to the ark throughout the flood and the reason the, and the reason they say this is because much later in the scripture in genesis um there is a person who comes to tell abraham Lot, your your nephew has been kidnapped and they call him the survivor and they use the word the the definite article and the sages go, "Why is he called the survivor?" And so they say that's Og. Og is the survivor of the flood, and so he is a giant. Anyway, but that's it's a weird thing. I don't know. If, I don't. I don't buy it. Yeah, if He would have switched sides too if that were true. Well, no. But they say actually that's what that's what they say. Moses is worried here, not because Og is a giant, but he's kind of concerned because like this guy did a good deed, and he's like lived like a thousand years. He's not
0: human. He's so he could be. The I'm survivor.
5: a little nervous about this guy. But primarily because he did a good deed Because he's afraid that God will reward him For that good deed of yeah, helping out Lot fine, yeah. So the point being Og's a big test So God brings him through a little test With the, at the Amorites And that would be a bad thing But then immediately at the end of the portion here Adonai said to Moses This is verse 34 in chapter 21 Do not fear him, talking about Og For into your hand have I given him His entire people and his land You shall do to him as you did to Sihon King of the Amorite who dwells in Heshbon And I think it's so cool because basically God's taken them throughout this entire passage through, like, problems, right? But the problems are building. Like, instead of it being, like, it's not God just, you know, dragging his people through the gauntlet, you know, because he really doesn't like them very much, but it's more because he's growing them. He's making them tougher. He's making them stronger. He's increasing their faith so that when they get through fighting the Amorites, God can use that as a successful example and say... Now you're going to fight somebody who's even worse. But don't worry. You've already done this. You know what to do. Yes, sir. To your point,
7: uh, these guys were so good. This was such a big deal. It's in the prayer. We just prayed this morning. I mean, we pray about these two guys. We mention these two guys
5: every day. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a big deal. Tough dudes. Yes, sir.
8: Does anybody have a spare copy of the
9: Book of the Wars of Hashem? It's right next to my copy of the Book of Jasher. I
5: had it (laughs)
7: miniaturized in my wallet, but I don't carry that on Shabbat. (laughs) (laughs) We know
0: some of the stories, though.
5: Um, Interestingly enough, there's a weird Hebrew. Was that... It's, okay, okay. There's a weird there's some, there's I, some, some, I, have, I have no real insight I, <laughs> I was just that. waiting <laughs> <is cool. laughs> Turns uh, out you, yeah, They have the only uh, It's only available in the Aramaic But Jonathan knows Aramaic So we're good here um, Well you sing the song in Aramaic every, every week uh, But earlier in this passage um, When we're talking about the, There's a song, speaking of songs um, In chapter 21 they sing the song and we have a quote here that comes from the, uh, if you read the, the Perkei boat, they actually quote this, this passage, because in the, in the Hebrew, uh, it's a couple of locations, and this is chapter 21, um, verse 19, and it says they went from Matanah to, um, I can't remember the second place right now, Nahaliel, Nahaliel. and then to Bamot. Bamot. And in the, in, the, in the Hebrew, if you read it that, that way, you're like, what is this talking about? And why is it here? But the, the English translation of the Hebrew, the Hebrew words, actually mean something. Um, surprise. And that's really cool because they, uh, in my um, shameless promotion, Art Scroll homage, <laughs> Pleasure, they have a Art Scroll, artscroll.com. They have sales every mose Shabbat. So after Shabbat's over, go buy something from them. Um. They, have, they translate the Hebrew into English because they realize the whole point of this little like, narrative is not about the Hebrew, it's about the English, or the translation behind the Hebrew words, what the words mean. Um, and it says, the, this is verse 19. The gift, in this case, they're talking about the well, or um, I think tradition also holds it as the Torah. The gift went to the valley, and from the valley to the heights, and from the heights to the valley in the field of Moab, at the top of the peak, overlooking the surface of the wilderness. And the idea in the Hebrew, or in the, in the Percet what they talk about is the idea that carries you. You, you get this, myth, this the blessing of Torah, that gets you to your inheritance, and that takes you to new heights, right? But I thought it was really kind of cool here that if you read this, this linear line, it's almost like it doesn't really make sense because it says you go from the, the valley to the heights, and from the heights to the valley at the top of the peak. And I think it's kind of cool because I think a lot of times in life it feels like you're going from a high point to a low point and then you're going back up again. But if, the, if you're really, if the way that Hashem wants it to be is that in that second valley, that second low point, it's higher than you were before. So the idea is instead of it being a roller coaster where you're going up and down and up and down and you're just getting lower and lower as you go, the idea is you're supposed to be gradually working your way up, which is kind of a cool way of looking at that. Just to kind of take
8: a slightly different take here. Because this this song, right, it's, it's like this kind of spiritual, you know, and it's kind of weird because it's kind of just inserted in here, right? And, it, and it just kind of a poetic breakout, this little spiritual, you know, I, I envision like this spiritual new that mm-hmm. they all just break into, right? But like so many of the songs recorded in the scripture, there, there's, I believe, a prophetic, you know, sort of. Mm. Um, Backdrop here because verse seventeen. Then Israel sang this song. Come up, O well, call out to it. Now we already have established that the well is Mashiach, right? So Come replace me. well with Messiah, right? Yeah. Come up, O Messiah, call out to it, Messiah that the princes dug, that the that the nobles of the people excavated. What is that referring to? I believe that's referring the to the what, the first time that we have um, a really big deal with a well is when we go back to Genesis uh, 16 or 17, I think it is, with Abraham and Abimelech mm-hmm. and the Beersheba, right, the okay? Because what does is, what is Abraham do? He says, he says, wait a minute, hold on. What are you doing with my well? I dug this well. I excavated this well. This is my well. And to make sure that everybody knows it's my well, we're going to cut a covenant right here. We've got all these people who are witnesses. And it's going to be known that this well that I've dug, that I've excavated, is my well. And you don't have access to my well unless I unless I permit it. Right? So, mm-hmm. This phrase, well, that the prince has dug, the nobles and the people excavated, I believe that's referring to the, the patriarchs. Well, if I may just jump in real quick, it
7: says later on that Isaac, they filled them in. They right. filled in areas of Isaac. And, and, and they, they had them, in. to redig
8: them. There's the princes right. you know, excavating. A gift from the wilderness, and then this, so the gift is the well, and the well is Messiah, so therefore the gift is Messiah.
9: Hmm.
8: Right? So, if you then take that image, imagery, the gift went down to the valley, right? Messiah descended, the, and then from the valley to the heights, he yeah. ascended, Resurrect. right? And then from the heights to back to the mm. back to things going to descend again to the top of the peak. What peak? What's the only peak on the face of the planet that matters? No. No. Which will be the highest peak one day. That's what the prophet says. So this little breakout here, when you understand the the illusion is just incredibly messing up. I mean mm-hmm. so
5: Bam! Cool. He did it with the well again. There <laughs> 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 yeah. right under the it's a good. It's a very good
1: well portion.
5: Alrighty, well, I think that that wraps it up pretty well. That's a good good place to end. Um, would you end us in prayer, sir?
7: Good Father, I thank you for Joshua and his. Uh, Leadership of our discussion. We thank you for Messiah Yeshua, the water of life, the well that never runs dry. We thank you, Father, for the Mazel tav, which you're about to, uh, the Simcha, which you're about to be uh, received in Brock's life with Jenny, and we pray uh, once again that you would bless them beyond measure. Father, we thank you for the community that you provided for us here. We know it is transient. We know that times will come, things will change. But one thing remains, that we can look to and hasten the coming of Mashiach, Yeshua, and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.